Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. When we hear about the topic of evolution, we naturally tend to think about Darwinianism, and that is the, the evolution by natural selection. And we've read a lot about Darwinianism, and it, it fills the literature uh, with its ideas. Uh, many people understand, a lot of people don't, but one of my issues with Darwinianism has always been, what is the driving force? We hear about organisms struggling for existence. But where did the struggle originate? What is the source of this struggle? Is it a chemical reaction? I don't think that really answers the question because then you have to ask, answer the, f the further question, problem, of how do these chemicals manage to align into life forms such that they decide to struggle for existence? When we move to and the evolution of consciousness, though, which is another type of evolution, the answer seems to present itself much easier. And the question is, well, why does consciousness evolve? What is the driving force for the evolution of consciousness? And I think the answer there, as I said, is pretty straightforward. And my answer would be, consciousness evolves to understand itself, to understand who we are. Now, this notion that consciousness moves, expands, rises, grows is becoming more and more of a popular topic in the literature. It has a long history, going back before the German idealist philosopher Hegel, and then we have Aurobindo, and we have Pierre Desjardins talking about the evolution of consciousness. But there's something to this concept that I think we need to pay attention to, because by all indication, it's real. Now, my guest today, Dr. Kinsley Dennis has written a new book entitled The Phoenix Generation, A New Era of Connection, Compassion, and Consciousness. In this book, he tackles this rise in consciousness, this, this unfolding of who we are in the context of a new generation, which he sees as opening up doors to a broader awareness of who we are. Now, Kinsley is a sociologist, researcher, and writer. He's the author of the critically acclaimed New Revolutions for a Small Planet, New Consciousness for a New World, and also he's co-author of the critically acclaimed Dawn of the Akasic Age with Irwin, Irvin Laszlo. So, Kinsley, welcome to the show. I appreciate your, your spending the time with us to talk about your new book. Thank you, Philip. Um, I appreciate the invitation and uh, very pleased to be here with you. Yeah, well, I, I think that you, for those who don't know, Kinsley is, is one of the leaders in this field, as evidenced by the popularity of his books. But I also think, Kinsley, you, you sort of push the envelope on many of these issues that we read about in the consciousness literature. But first of all, as a little bit of background, how did you go from teaching sociology to writing about the consciousness movement. <laughs> Thank you, Philip. Yeah, it may, it may seem quite a leap, actually, uh, from that academic background, but for me, it's been a very uh, natural transition because from the very beginning, when I entered, um, let's say, the, the t educational environment, which I've been in all my life, um, a primary focus for me was trying to understand how we think as a human species so for that for me was always part of sociology and I'd been teaching in various institutions in other countries and other cultures including five years in, in Turkey and so I studied more uh, the kind of 
global communications, how we communicate together and how we connect together. And so how we communicate and we, how we connect is very much the, the fundamentals of uh, our thinking patterns and our reflexive consciousness. So it wasn't really a great leap from looking at the external structures of how our infrastructures of, of connection and communication into the content of what we put into those communication channels, which is, uh, like I say, um, our our cultural conditioning, our thinking patterns around the world, and what influences those thinking. And so that what's brought me over the years to move more away from the physical infrastructures to look at the more, let's say, um, uh, less less concrete areas such as uh, thinking and the subtlety of our thought patterns, Philip. Well, one of the challenges I think we face in in really whether it's changing minds or influencing thinking is the concept of of social pressure and sociology and this is something that i have spent lately spending a lot of time on which is this is not necessarily uh, a debate a debate out there between say materialists and spiritualists. It's not simply a one-on-one -on -one debate. Those who seek to change a paradigm, it seems to me, have to deal with the sociological issue. And now, is this something that that you have also considered? Uh, it struck me that, so, that your background in sociology make, may make you really sensitive to this concept of peer pressure, social pressure in the way we think. Well, yes, in fact, what it gave me, Philip, was, was the tools to, to look at the thinking. Yeah. Because uh, such elements of the how human thinking is manipulated, exploited, and uh, let's say, in some ways, socially engineered, which, which has been the case, um, then, you know, we, we often don't see that because we don't have the tools or the vocabulary to frame it. So really, most of the major revolutions in human society or, or the paradigm changes have been ultimately paradigms in the way we think. Right. So, you know, just to take a few examples, you know, I mean, I say, often say to people, well, I think that we're in a moment now, a transition, which is as powerful as moving from the flat earth to the round earth moment. And so, you know, the earth didn't go from being flat to being round, but it's the way we envisioned it and understood it changed. Right. And so all these major shifts, whether it's going from moments from the, uh, the scientific revolution, moving away from uh, the great, uh, let's say, as you mentioned in our introduction, a lot of the um, religious uh, connotative paradigms, it's always been a shift in human consciousness, the way we are able to understand our place on the earth and in the bigger picture. So if you strip away all these externals, everything comes down to how there's been major shifts in human consciousness. So as I say, the, you know, we have revolutions in blood, which have obviously right. made impacts, the you know, American Revolution, the French Revolution, but ultimately we're talking about revolutions in human consciousness. Yeah, and I think that that, that is a, really the, the fascinating uh, issue of our time, and sometimes I don't know whether... Uh, enough people appreciate it, and I think that's something that you touch upon in your book, The Phoenix Generation. We we are sort of getting a bit ahead of ourselves here, but I I think that there is there is this uh, underlying issue, uh, Kinsley, which you which you discuss about whether this this paradigm shift, let's, and let's call it a shift from the external to the internal, or the materialistic to the spiritual. Uh, there's all sorts of other ways to put it or, or towards a more consciousness-based viewpoint. Do you think that this is a natural evolution, i.e. something that is occurring sort of subconsciously, or, or do you think that it is something that is being pushed by thinkers such as you and, and many others? Well, um in some ways, I'm sure there are people out there who would like to think there are, there are pioneers and shift in consciousness. Yeah. But uh, that, you know, that may just end up feeding our own ego. <laughs> yeah, that's um, yeah. You know, we, there are people, I mean, there are people who can point out these elements. And I'd like to think perhaps that if I'm doing anything of service, it's pointing out these elements. But really, what I feel is that what's happening is a natural organic shift. And it's going to happen anyway. 
Uh, the question is, is how smooth yeah. or how rough or smooth this change will be. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so for example, um, you know, we've been having a much, uh, an epoch of, let's say, a hierarchical energy epoch, where the powers have been much more from the top down, and we've, ha- we've seen this in politics and a lot of the way that society has been structured. And what I think is happening now is a shift towards a more horizontal type of energy, let's say a more distributed energy, where there's more opportunity coming through uh, people across the planet rather than through the, these top-down channels. And that's an energy which is coming in because it's Time is due. Uh, so, for example, um, you know, I, I named this this shift the shift in C values, just to give it a name, which yeah. uh, of anything. So, for example, we're shifting from a, a, a time of the values of control, conquest, um, um, and this conflict. And into and competition into a time of communication, consciousness, compassion, and and so this 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 shift really is actually is going to happen, but there obviously there, there are elements uh, trying to struggle against that because they're losing their power base. Yeah. And so the more people can talk about it, explain it, and, and to point towards it, it may help this awareness bring it in. But it's going to come in in time anyway. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I think that that's I think that's exactly the way I look at things, Kinsley. I I, I wanted to ask you that question to see where you came down because it is a big one. Uh, I I think frankly it's related uh, to that old saying, whether it's Sherlock Holmes or whoever uh, said that you know when when you eliminate the impossible, uh, whatever remains is the truth, or put differently, that the truth remains standing. I had this discussion with a friend of mine last night, I mentioned before the show, and we were talking about this topic in in a way, and, you know, the the natural reaction from him, as from others, would be, well, how can you expect to change all these people that are set in their ways? And, and, and aren't most people just going to ignore you and go about their daily lives? And there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of power to that position because I think that, to me, is the standard objection to a lot of this talk about consciousness raising. And my and one of my responses was, I think this is a natural process that cannot be stopped. Mm-hmm. And and so to to me that that gives me sort of confidence that we are on the right path here. We're not just sort of going in the middle of the boxing ring and figuring out who has the the most logical argument. We are really talking about defining who we are and to try to get ourselves in tune with who we are. So that's the way I would view it. Yeah. And I, I would totally concur with you, Philip. Yeah. And I think we can see it in the world around us because if we were trying to have this conversation just 10 years ago, right. then I think we'd find a, a lot of people not really, um, or less less in tune with that right. and uh, would find it more difficult to share ideas. So if we were talking just 10 years ago about this shift, people might say, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. You know, I, I, I understand what you're saying, but I just don't see it. Yeah. But just in a few years, even five years, in the last five years, we've seen a lot more people aware of these changes. And it's almost come to a point where you would probably have to be living, you know, in some way with your head under the sand, not <laughs> to see these difficulties in the world around us and things not working. Yeah. So it's, it's come to a point where um, because this change is happening and it's natural, um, you know, the, it's, I think, the, I think it's, it's, a, it's a question of waves, Philip. The early waves coming in that hit the shore were, were smaller waves, and there were people, as you mentioned in your introduction, like Aurobindo and Pierre de Chardin, the, the forerunners who were talking about this, but they were the early waves, and the, the, they, these waves were not really making a permanent mark on the shore. But over time, these waves get stronger and stronger and stronger, and until you, you get um, you know, almost a kind of phase shift, where now a lot of people we speak to can understand that because I think the time is due. And I think it was Victor Hugo, the French writer, who said, you know, you, you, you cannot stop uh, an idea whose time, when it's time is due. Yeah, yeah, I think that, yeah, that is, that is a, that's a really good uh, quote for that point there. And it's, it's almost as if uh, the picture is starting to become more clear uh, when you add on 
the technology part of this. I mean, to, to me, there's two features of our modern society that are helping this movement, and those would be the Internet and freedom. And because, as you said before, you know, 500 years ago, uh, 200 years ago, we, we lived in a much more top-down, directive, authoritative type of societies. Uh, the the French Revolution, you know, the Enlightenment of, of, of anything in the French Revolution, uh, one of the hallmarks of them was, was the ability to think for yourself, you know, the Kantian point that, that in the Enlightenment, man began to, to ask the questions and to answer them himself. And and we are seeing more and more of this. That's what I'm about, about questioning uh, these, these, uh, these answers that we, we've been handed down, whether it's religion or science or elsewhere, and just at least, at least um, questioning them as opposed to accepting them on blind faith. But at the same time, we have the Internet, we have podcasts, we have radios, we have books that are sort of spreading the word and I think that, that that's something that you, uh, I think, write about uh, in your book. I have this quote. It says here, human technology external to us are only manifesting a reality that already exists within us. And I thought that that, that was a good way to put it. So I take it that um, you, uh, you as well give some credit to technology. I mean, where do you think this fits in, the, the, te- the technological and Internet aspect to this? Well, it's it's crucial, Philip, and and really to to talk about technology, we may need a few hours. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, the point I was trying to make, and, and you 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 rightly brought it up, is that um, you know it's almost as if that the the technology is uh, reflecting the blueprint of how things operate in the you know in the uh, let's say I won't say in the invisible world, but in in the internal way. So these connections have always existed and we're now finding it out through the new sciences and the quantum sciences and how everything is is actually a part of an an entangled field. And so but we didn't have the understanding previously. And and what we're doing now I think the technologies are manifesting uh, in front of us in very tangible ways of how processes and and how um, connections have operated um, behind the scenes, let's say. So we, we, we're almost externalizing a lot of internal processes. And so this, this period is a great period of convergence because, um, as you say, there's an awakening between people. There's uh, an expansion of the in, inner realm in terms of the tools and vocabulary we have to explore that realm. And then we have the technology as a means to share and communicate upon that level. So when you have those convergences together, you cannot help but have great shifts occurring. Yeah, and yeah, I almost I almost feel like when you add, I mean, to me, the internet is both a metaphor and it's also obviously an accelerated form of communication. Uh, but when you add add this all up, uh, we're we're sort of going through perhaps a natural a natural selection of ideas we're we're sharing ideas more and the ones that resonate with people i think should be should remain standing this is philip camella this is conversations beyond science and religion i'm speaking with kinsley dennis the author of the new book the phoenix generation and we're talking about this this uh, emphasis on expanding consciousness, the evolution of consciousness. And with that, Kinsley, I'd like to talk a little bit about your new book, of course. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, the the new book is called The Phoenix Generation, A New Era of Connection, Compassion, and Consciousness. And these topics we've just been talking about are are um, interwoven in, this, in your book, Kinsley, along with some of your other work. But first of all, where did you come up with this notion of the Phoenix Generation? That in itself is, is, is quite a surprise because I, I had not been aware of, of um, really the, the name of the Phoenix. I just wish to try to uh, encapsulate this sense that this new energy is rising up 
out of the old. And all of a sudden, this image came to me of, of the phoenix bird rising through the ashes yeah. into, a, into a new world. Yeah. And so I thought about the, you know, the phoenix generation. Yeah, that, that's, that for me seemed to fit. And as soon as I, I had that idea and I, I began writing the book, I started to see the phoenix almost everywhere. Yeah. You know, it, it's almost as if... Um, like you you buy a new model car and as soon as you buy the car you start seeing this car everywhere on the road yeah where yeah. before you hadn't noticed it so much it's yeah. i think the psychologists call it perception perception set yeah and so and now i know that this i mean the word isn't original i find that there is actually phoenix groups in other places around the world which for me actually is a validation it feels that i'm tapping into a a, a kind of a collective sense of understanding and so there are other people also using this term, which for me, I, I'm positive about because, you know, it means that um, I think people are, are aware of this change. And I, for me, it's very important to put this down in a positive way, because I'm aware that in previous um, years, especially in the 80s, there was this um, look at uh, the young children coming to the world, which were named as indigo children. Right. I'm aware of that, but also I felt, and this is my own opinion, I felt that this also was, in some ways, um, could be slightly stigmatizing. Because um, this name was quickly used in all different areas, and these young children were called, um, like, star children, crystal children, uh, children with ESP powers, whereby... I felt that there were a lot of responsibility to be put on these young children, whereas they were the first early waves. And so there was a, still a lot of, um, let's say, disequilibrium of young children trying to equilibrate with their society and with schools and the classrooms because the young generation don't need the same or don't feel the same uh, requirements as we do. So there, there's a lot of conflict in, in the curriculums, the school environment and, and the way they're brought up. And so the first wave of these young children, uh, I felt, weren't given the real support needed. Whereas now I feel they're coming in a more generational well, wave. So rather than saying that they, they have these uh, you know, these, let's say, these abilities, I, I just feel that they have a sense of intuition, a more sense of intuition. So rather than, uh, rather than acting upon acquired information, which, which is another word for social conditioning, acquired information from what they learn at school, they're, they're starting to respond more from an intuitive knowing, a gnosis, a, sen a sense from themselves. So we really just need to let them get on with it, in a sense. And that's also part of the paradigm shift that we're speaking about, whereas earlier we felt that the way to, to protest against the system was almost to fight the system, because that's a natural human response. We feel injustice, we want to go out there and protest. And, and that is part of the old paradigm, because obviously the powers that be, the authority, can, can really... Uh, have a, quite a strong backlash against that, and we give them. We also give them almost the the uh, the excuse to to have that backlash. What I'm seeing now, Philip, which, which I think uh, really encapsulates a new paradigm, is that a lot of young people who are very tech savvy, they understand how to use the internet and how to uh, you know write applications and, and get by, uh, you know get behind things. They're just go, they're just getting out there and doing it, creating their projects, connecting together. So rather than fighting against a wall, they're bypassing it. Yeah. They, getting on and doing it and that for me is the energy of the new paradigm which really uh characterizes the phoenix generation they don't want to protest anymore or to or to have this conflict they're just getting out of there and doing it yeah I, I think that there is a lot here because one of the um, interpretations i had of the phoenix generation was sort of a a generation that that is more natural to the real state of being so that you would have people as you say more intuitive uh, using what what some folks would call paranormal powers would not be unusual uh, there would be more uh, instinct not as mechanical of, of reaction so that so that what what we would be seeing would be not necessarily people who are just more open-minded but but a generation that is truly more connected to their inner being. That's the way I read it. Is is that is that what you're saying? That 
Yeah, it is. It is indeed. And we have to also realise that this generation will be perhaps the first generation to be born into a fully digitised world. And so, in that sense, you know, they, I, I envision them as not being born into change. Like we, you know, generations who are born into change and adapting to the changing world. Right. What I sense and what I feel is that actually they're being born as change. Yeah. And just by being themselves and they have this intuitive sense and so yes they will be they will be responding more from them they themselves and so whereas we've been debating for this long time about what is science what is spirituality we very much exist within this duality and this vocabulary of duality whereby the generations that's coming in now may not even talk about spirituality they would just sense it and live it rather than trying to define it with words so it's rather than behaving from a, a, a set of conditioned categories and that we've provided by society they'll be more just acting from themselves and in that way they will be breaking through these duality of, of categories that we've been work we've been struggling with for so long yeah that's that's really you know as you were as you were saying that i was thinking that uh many of us and i would include me among them i've been fighting maybe a rear guard action uh we we look at the past paradigm and and for me it's been materialistic science and organized religion and trying to break down the walls between them which is not easy because of some of the factors that we've mentioned, including the peer pressure, so, uh, sociology, uh, entrenched ideas, doubt, authoritative figures, all these kinds of things. But it becomes a little easier when you sort of parachute the new troops in, the new thinkers in, which is this new generation, who don't, who are thinking on a different level. So, so it, this whole dichotomy that has been set up between science and religion, evolution, creationism, intelligent design versus science, et cetera, et cetera, that they're no longer thinking in those terms, right? That, that, is, that, se- that seems to be, a, that's a, a really, I think, a sort of a promising, inspiring way to look at this, Kinsley, if that's what you're saying, because I think that that's, that, that is, um, you know, I think that's what we need. It is, and that is what I'm saying, yeah, Philip. Yeah. Because you know how how we view the world, how we perceive the world. That's the game changer. Because unless we have a shift in perception and a shift in thinking, we won't we won't really have a permanent shift in in any in any fundamental way. It'll just be a cosmetic way. Yeah. And so it's a perception which is the initial fundamental game changer. So if we have a um, a generational change coming in, whereby they'll have a more essential perception they won't have these uh, such these barriers or blockages that we've been struggling with in the same way and also as as i mentioned earlier there's a different energy coming in now that supports a distributed communicated a horizontal environment where before the vertical energy of hierarchy was more being supported then we have things working different way and i feel like a lot of things happening in the world such as alternative economies alternative uh uh, groups and forums and projects and, and health uh, projects and growing their own food and markets and people connecting. Uh, all this is really the early, uh, early kind of wave and phenomenon of seeing this change happening. And I feel we're going to see more and more of this coming up, whereby these innovative, creative projects, which have been dubbed as disruptive innovation, is going to come from the periphery. And, you know, almost uh, as, an alleg- as an allegory, uh, we can say that um, when the, the fall of Rome happened, um, it was because um, they, when the centre weakened, the, um, the periphery, uh, the, let's say the Visigoths or the invaders came in from the periphery and took over. So if we think of the centre, we're always thinking of the old paradigm. The centre will hold the power or the control. But when a real change is happening, we often don't see it which is a good sign because it comes from the periphery and, it, and then it starts to, to come in for all different areas and eventually takes over. Yeah, well, that, I think that's, that is a, a, a very good way to put it because one of my struggles here has been uh, sort of taking over the lectern in the, in the lecture hall from, let me, let me, let me just say, the, you know, the hardcore materialist, for example, who's giving who's giving, say, the um, Stephen Hawking or Richard Dawkins' view of the world, the mechanical worldview, um, where ultimate reality is a thing, we're separate people, 
uh, there's no future, there's, there's no hope, the, there's no purpose in life, you know. And that's sort of the, the guiding uh, theme of modern science, believe it or not. Uh, but, but to me, it's like, well, if people stop going to the lectures... That that it no longer that message no longer resonates with people. Then it doesn't matter how credentialed the lecturer is; they're not going to have anyone to talk to anymore. So that, so maybe so maybe that's mm-hmm. maybe that's the way that that change has to happen because that that to me would be the organic change. You know, the the rock band that that gets out of favor, the politician who go you know who goes out of favor, they become they become sort of irrelevant. Uh, but one thing I do know. Is that there? There is no one way this whole paradigm shift is going to happen. I mean, I I do think that the natural movement is really the most promising way to view it. Um, I'm not sure whether uh, there's going to be some you know grand crisis or 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 seismic event that's going to occur, uh, but. If it's a natural movement, then we could be pretty sure something's gonna gonna happen. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Kinsley Dennis, the author of the new book, The Phoenix Generation, and we're talking about uh, what this new generation uh, is going to bring to the table with regard to expanding uh, the role of consciousness awareness. Uh, in our world now, you have this. One of the things that struck me, Kinsley, is that you're very sort of humble or very candid about the way you you present some of your ideas, um, because there is there is a certain amount of prediction in your book, but you 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 say it's intuitive in many ways, and I get the sense that it's one of those. You know, it is intuitive. You're you're sort of practicing. Um, a lot of things you've been talking about here, but there's something about the year 2030 that you emphasize in your book, and I'd, I'd like you just to talk about where where you came up with the 2030 as being sort of a rough time period for for this real change to occur. Oh, thank you, Philip. And and in fact, that question. Uh, I'm very happy to answer because uh, I can say it wasn't really any great uh, epiphany at all. <laughs> it was pure. It was pure mathematics. Okay. Yeah, good. Um, it was because um, if if I look at, at the young generation being born around now, around this time, then when they start to enter the, the let's say the social domain, whether it's the workplace or whether it's social circles and networks, and start to have the age of influence, then it's going to be when they start becoming teenagers, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, etc. So if they've been born around now, um, then they'll start to generally enter this teen age around 2030. So that's pure mathematics. Um, it's not a, a vision, and um, which I'm glad about because uh, although sometimes um, I get called a futurist, I have to admit that um, futurism is the worst business to be in. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought it was it was good. I'm, I'm, uh, parenthetically, I had last week I had Muriel reading on the show, who's written a new book on Nostradamus and. You know, that's a whole nother, whole nother, whole nother type of prediction here than, well, what we're doing here than with Nostradamus. But one of the things that I think this field needs is is rigor, because scientists are are good at predicting the future, in the sense of you know when a comet is going to arrive. Or how long it's going to take for the spaceship to get to Pluto, and and how and you know how long um, the phases of the moon are. I mean, those those predictions are based upon the constancy of scientific laws. What we're doing here is, and using the royal we, is sort of predicting the movement of consciousness, mm-hmm. which is a whole nother ball game. So where do you where do you come down on on applying say the rigors of science to this field? Do you think it's apples and oranges? Do you think it's necessary? You 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 must have given this some thought. Where do you, where do you fit the scientific principles into this topic we're talking about here? Well, it's true, and 
When I when I my earlier books um, coming from an academic background, uh, I try to con- I try to put in as many references as possible uh, for two reasons. One is to validate my argument, so to speak, so it wouldn't look like it's just uh, my ideas only, but I do have a, a reference for where I'm coming from. And secondly, to give some references for people to do their own homework. Because I wish to say, this is what I feel and think, but please go away, do your own homework and come to your own conclusions. So I felt that was important, but over time I found myself um, putting more emphasis upon my own intuition, as you rightly picked up, Philip. But at the same time, I still feel some obligation to reference it with um, some some. Uh, elements that are manifesting in the world and coming to light, such as the new sciences in quantum physics or or quantum biology. So we can say, look, you know, there are there are elements here which do point out uh, some validity to these points. And you know, quantum biology has now validated that we are uh, our human bodies are in quantum coherence because of the biophotons being given off by our cells. So, if we ele- if we can understand that there's an underlying connectivity and a side to this connectivity, then you know, on on greater levels, as above, so below. On greater levels, that as a society we're connected inherently, we have this human bioenergy field. Then it's not esoteric at all. Science is coming around to validate some of the, let's say, spiritual. Elements which many of the wisdom traditions have been talking about for centuries. And this is another convergence, Philip, which I feel will, will help to break this binary between science and spirit, is that we're coming to an understanding where science is validating spirit and spirit is validating science, so we no longer have to use, like, like you said, two sides of the boxing ring. You know, right. We can have a circle of discussion rather than a ring of conflict. Yeah, and I, th- I think that that's really a challenge for our time you know it makes the time we're living in so interesting and i i think what's fueling it as i said earlier is the internet free speech but this this whole tension between science and spirituality and we see so many uh hardcore scientists who refuse to give a page or any credibility to the spirituality movement. On the other hand, there are various signs that the walls are coming down. I mean, uh, I just got done reading uh, a book by Paul Davies, who I'm trying to book for the show, who I'm trying to book for the show, his book, The Goldilocks Universe, where, you know, Paul Davies is, for those who don't know, I mean, I think he's one of the best popular science writers out there. He's also very thoughtful, and, you know, he's He's confronting this question about the fine-tuning of the universe, and it's just too strange of a fact to overlook, or it's too strange of a fact to attribute it all to chance, all to randomness. And you know, and you and you touch about it, you know, upon it yourself in your book when you when you talk about the improbability of life. And to me, Kingsley, that is that is a, a feature here. Of, of our current scientific spiritual worldview where there is, to me, a unavoidable role of mind, consciousness, spirit, gods, whatever you want to call it, in the, in the formation of our world. It's, to me, that's what it all comes down to. And to me, that's where the barrier will be, will be broken down between science mm-hmm. and spirituality. So I don't, I'm not sure where, where you're at with that, but to me... That's one sign, if not the biggest sign, that there has to be a unity here at some point or a unifying of these themes, these Mm storylines, because you can't drain intelligence from the world we live in. Yes, Philip, and rightly so. I mean, some of these old paradigms, or the let's say the, the still mainstream paradigms, they have so many holes in them, you could jump through them. Right. Um, but as you know, paradigm changes happen when the anomalies to the current theory become so, uh, let's say, um, so many and so obvious that, in fact, they then start to become the new norm. You yeah. can't ignore them. So over the over the centuries and the, at least the last couple of centuries, these anomalies have been arising, and more so with the uh, with the rise of quantum mechanics, for example, and and um, the technologies to uh, view the universe. That um, these holes are getting bigger and bigger, and so 
you can only ignore them to a certain uh, to a certain point, and beyond that, it, it will become quite laughable in a sense to, to you know to try to hold on to the old the old theories. And and you know we we joke now that our our ancestors believed that the Earth was flat, right? You know? um, but of course, they had their reasons at the time. And I'm quite sure that our descendants will look back at this time and uh, look at our old paradigms before they change and say, well, how could they believe that? You know, yeah. but of course, you know, we, we're in stages of conscious awareness. So you know, it's not a point of blame. So as you said, if someone takes a podium before before one of us and says, this is the material um, framework, this is how it is. You know, it's not a question of blame. It's that they've, they have this perception and they're sticking to it and they look for uh, evidence which frames their perception. So they're not bringing in new evidence. Fair enough. But of course, you know, over time, there's going to be so many, and especially the young people, bringing in new evidence, thereby you can no longer ignore the fact that we do now have to shift our perception, our consciousness. And, um, and as I said, you know, as we've talked about, uh, consciousness has been changing over time, but because it's been so subtle, we may not be aware of it. But we have the tools now to, which is very important, to have a, a, to have a discussion about the inner world. So, for example, Philip, if, if I was having a discussion with my grandmother and, I, and I, I made a mistake and I said, oh, that's a Freudian slip, you know, my grandmother would look at me and said, oh, well, who's Freud and how did he slip? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yes. because they didn't have that vocabulary of, of psychoanalysis or of viewing the interior world. So in, in the 20th century, we brought in a lot of... Uh, Let's say we have, you know, we went through the psychoanalysis, the vocabulary of inner reflection, looking at the inner world, the dreams. We then went through, you know, a huge uh, amplification of that in the 1940s and the 50s when we had a lot of Eastern teachings coming over. We had uh, Yogananda, we had uh, Sufic teachings, Tao teachings, a lot of Buddhist teachings. And especially in the, in the US on the West Coast in the 50s and 60s with the rise of, of um transpersonal psychology and consciousness in the Esalon Center. And, you know, and we can just look at the whole uh, kind of evolution of this wave of exploration of the inner world. Um, you know, through the 60s especially was a great time of experimentation. So we've been going through this process very intensely in the last century of exploring the inner world of the human being. We've now come to a point where we can export that inner understanding into the outer world through our communications and through a more an increase of people who can connect and resonate with that understanding plus we can put it with the latest science who are validating our energetic connectivity whether it's biophysics or quantum physics and then we have this huge convergence of so many elements then it's changing the ball game and so really to what we've lacked before, Philip, is enough separate elements to create a convergence. We've had one element or two, but not enough to really uh, have a phase change. And so that, was, for me, is what makes this time, our epoch, so important, is that I think ne not for, for such a long time as human society been at a stage of so many convergent factors whereby as we've said, it's inevitable that we have to shift into a new era of, of consciousness and understanding our place in the world. Yeah, and I, and along those lines, as you, again, as you were as you were talking, I was thinking about really a big, big oak tree spreading its roots. A lot of the pioneers in this field were like digging holes and and beginning the roots, and these roots are getting deeper and broader, and those, I, I completely agree, the lines of convergence are almost, they're, they're just unavoidable, uh, and and specifically, for those who are wondering what I'm, what I'm talking about, I'm talking about things like uh, quantum theory, the fine-tuning of the universe, the placebo effect, uh, I'm talking about uh, the, the entanglement uh, parapsychology, near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences. It's, it goes on and on and on, and everything's pointing to this consciousness-based world. I mean, that's, that's sort of where, where I, I think it's, and, and this is where I say it's inevitable, because, it's, it's, because at the end of the day, you can't ignore the facts. And it's, I think Teddy Roosevelt, I think it was him, he said, you know, he said, facts are stubborn things. They just don't go away, and and so if with with all, if everything goes in this direction, I think that uh, 
the Phoenix generation or or some some form of it uh, is is going to happen and is where things are heading. Now, there's a lot of ex- exciting things here, and you know we're not going to have time to touch upon upon all of it. But what what are some of the of the changes you think in the physical real world? And you you've touched upon some of them, but but th- there there's a criticism of this kind of conversation, which is that maybe it's all talk. You know, what does it really mean? Uh, out, out, you know, in our daily lives, and you've and you've done a lot of thinking and writing on that. What what are some of the of the changes that you think that this this uh, paradigm shift will mean in the real world? That's an important question because we have to, you know, we live in a physical world, and I, I do feel we have to connect with that with our thought processes, so we're not just, you know. Uh, you know, talking ideas, right. and people do do ask me. They say, "Kingsley, you know, you talk about positive things, but are you sure this is going to happen? I don't see it." Yeah. And um, in fact, one of the the major areas which I see great change happening is, is in media. And you know what we're doing now, the conversation we're having today, is part of that media change. Right. And whereas what I see with the young people is that part of this this like top-down hierarchical energy structure we discussed is about being consumers we were sitting in front of the television before that the radio and people consumed information but they didn't respond to it it was one way directional now the young people are becoming prosumers they're producing the content themselves they're not just receiving it and so we see this you know phenomenon of a YouTube and social media and you know the, there's a new generation of journalists out there which are not uh, connected with any major associated press or writers and they're out there gathering information from the field and producing their own content and if we look about it 10 years ago philip 10 years ago youtube posted its first video okay. now it has over a billion uh, registered users in 10 years yeah and and there's a huge I and mean, there's so many elements of that of of these kind of uh, peer network uh, services which have just come from out of nowhere that no one could have predicted. And that's why futurism is such a bad business because we can't really predict what's going to happen. And so I feel that media and the, the rise of the prosumers are going to change a lot about not only what information is out there, but how it's delivered and how we receive it. And obviously, the information being expanded and amplified will help us to have more tools to shape our perceptions and views and not just the mainstream standard. So that's one, Philip, media. Also, I feel there's going to be a big shift in the health industry, uh, which, you know, to be fair, we should really call it the illness industry. Yeah. Um, yeah because, the, you know... Uh, that's more or less the bottom line of what, of, what, of what it is, you know, if you're going to, you know, say the truth. And so I feel that people are going to take through their intuition. They're going to wish to um, have more information about what is their health, what is the real cause, not just what are the symptoms, but what are the cause of the disease. And they'll look through the information available as well through online about what are the other alternative information. To deal with that, and I feel that there'll be a backlash between the, the the pharmaceutical industry and not just to take and pop pills anymore because they the doctor says pop these five pills together. No, I think people are going to be more aware and want to seek their own information, and I feel that in the next uh, in the next decade we're going to see a lot of. Um, I think transparency and backlash against the illness pharmaceutical industry. That's well, another area. Yeah. Well, I, I, I want to comment on that because I think that is a big one. And in terms of of having real concrete effect on people, there is nothing as direct as health or as illness, as you put it. Point being that if these alternative forms of diagnosis, healing, the holistic approach, the body-mind, the energy healing, all these new concepts, if they continue to show success and, and people continue to be healed healthier by using these alternative forms of healing, then to me, uh, Kingsley, there is almost nothing as as powerful as that because that's something that is not pie in the sky it's something right in front of us it's our own health 
And, you know, I again, I had this conversation with my friend last night on the, on the same topic, and I, I think the, that, that the medical profession um, is really going to be part of this of this revolution or this paradigm shift it it already is right i mean we, the the more i mean talking about um you know uh sort of a big change occurring out there uh 10 15 years ago 20 years ago you know there was the placebo effect and there was you know faith healing and this kind of thing but but it's really becoming more and more uh popular as as a different approach to healing so so I think that, you know, so I, I may have cut you off there with other examples, but I just want to emphasize that to me, the health industry uh, and our own well-being may, is going to be part of this shift, I think, because it's re- so real to us. You know, fundamental, Philip, because, as you say, the well-being is going to be a priority. And that is one of the aspects I mentioned about the Phoenix generation is that they will take so seriously their well-being and will wish to, to, you know, seek to be a priority rather than putting priority into uh, maybe a career or, uh, you know, trying to get ahead over the well-being of others. In fact, strangely enough, um, the um, one of the greatest increase in let's say, job sectors in the world, especially from the North America, is in the volunteer section. Yeah. Which, which may seem surprising to some, um, but also it shows, A, that there's a shift away from such things as, you know, general blue-collar working areas, um, but into the sense that, A, a lot of young people are travelling a lot more, physically travelling, visiting other cultures. They're also communicating through social networks and having friendships across borders. And young people don't want conflict or war. They want to create this understanding. And so this has resulted in a great surge in in voluntary sector uh, areas. And so that's an aspect of well-being in in another area. And, and health is, is a part of that as well, because if you're doing something you enjoy and you love and you're connecting with people and you're, you're receiving from that friendship, that actually helps, uh, that helps your health. That increases your immune system by doing something that you really wish to do. Yeah, well, I mean, to me, when I have these conversations I, on health, I, I usually move to a morality front because I do think, and this is also related to a, t- a topic I, w- I was going to shift to right now anyways, which is this notion of it takes a village or critical mass, because I do think that there is power in numbers, and there uh, you, you mention a study, I know Dean Radin's done one, but you mention a study about uh, common, common uh, thinking or group, group consciousness um, research, where I, I do think that uh, the more the medical profession uh, sort of supports the holistic uh, approach to healing, and I'm using holistic as sort of a generic term here, uh, that it will be embedded in our consciousness and it will start working more because it becomes part of the mindset. See, this is sort of where, where, where I, I think things move. I think things move to a greater power uh, we're not just like waving, waving at the wind or whistling in the wind. Uh, we are, at least I'm talking about real change through this development of consciousness. Um, and so with regard to that, there's a couple big points here that I'd like to get clear. And even though I think I know the answer to this, you, you in your book, um, you have a quote from Jardine. Um, about crisis being necessary for a paradigm shift, and but then, then you talk about how, and we've already talked about how this is a natural, a natural shift. Do you, where do you do you where do you come down on that? Do you think that it's going to take a crisis like in the environmental area? It would be like a love canal or a war or some natural disaster uh, to to really bring along this paradigm shift or 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 are you of the mind that is that it will be a peaceful sort of un, not bumpy uh gradual unfolding i think it's going to be somewhere in the middle for yeah, yeah. um i think it's going to be a series of uh diverse crises 
in various areas around the world. So it's not going to be peaceful or smooth overall, yeah. but it's not going to be an Armageddon global disaster either. Yeah. And so, for example, um, especially after the, 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 the first great financial economic collapse in September 2008, there was this this feeling that um, there would you know the economy could not sustain itself and there had to be a, a, a kind of endpoint collapse very soon, and um, that then got I think got swallowed into the zeitgeist of 2012 and being there would be this huge Armageddon type event, and so we had this thinking which fueled this type of uh, millennial thinking of having these great ends or these great crises, yeah. but if you look at the world we're already in a we're already in a set of crises where because the old system's way of doing things can no longer cope um, with the change. So we have crises in, in major economics, we have crises in politics because politics is trying to maintain the old empire agenda. But for me, the end, the end, the end of the age of empires has ended. We no longer be able to sustain one empiric nation because we're a communicated, connected world. There's so many big players together, we can no longer just have you know one empire. Yeah. So um, there's, but we would have a crisis in politics. We have a crisis in, uh, as we said, the health system. We have a crisis. Um, in, in energy as well, because we know that we're uh, reaching a lot of the the end of the line in, in cheap available uh, f- first pickings of oil, and that oil is no longer a long term uh, sustainable option. So all these things are, are coming to a, to a head. So we're going to see crises manifesting through, um, you know, uh, again, there's going to be climatic effects which will um, have an effect on migration. There'll be economic migration. The certain poorer nations will have greater crises and others. Um, So all these are going to come about, which I think are going to be part of the generational change to new thinking and new systems. And I think that's important phrase there, generational change, because I think we have to, uh, well, from my point of view, I'm clear that there's not going to be an overnight change. You know, huge crises, a huge kind of, uh, you know, the lemming jumps off the cliff, end of one, end of part one. Um, yeah, yeah. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be change brought in, as we say, organically. So when we have these new minds, new, new intuitive um, young people coming to the world over time in 10 years, 15 years and more, they'll be taking positions in society, in cultures, in business as well. And then they'll start to change these these institutions from within because they're sitting in the seats. The old guard has passed on the seat to the new people. So it's not so much the institutions we have to bring down by revolution, but we need new thinking sitting in the seats of the institutions from within to make the change. And that is A, organic, and B, you need generational change. So it's smoother, but there'll be little little kind of bumps and crises along the way because we, we have to move from the older systems, which are which are really cracking. Yeah, I, I think that, that that, you know, again, let's face it, we are just engaging in crystal ball gazing right now because who knows how it's going to happen. I mean, I, I think that, uh, as you point out, the world is in crisis. And when you look at homelessness and poverty and war, there's something like 37 wars going on right now, I read somewhere, in, in, in the world. I mean, so there is definitely a crisis. And, you know, there is also a... There's a crisis of of thinking going on. I I think that there, we we are our our minds, in my opinion, are in turmoil, because we have so many competing demands and so many competing beliefs. I mean, I, I was mentioning this again recently to to a friend of mine about how if you follow the traditional scientific worldview, you sort of have to be an atheist. But most people aren't atheists, so that means we're sort of we have one foot in science and one foot in spirituality, and I think that that's is is the promise of this Phoenix generation, and I think that that's something that you know you do a really good job of of uh, discussing in your book. Uh, the other thing, though, uh, Kingsley, that that really is something that I I haven't figured out, and that is this concept of authority figures and credibility. I mean, for example, in science. Uh, if you if you if you expect to get a degree in biology and you disagree with Darwin, it's just not going to happen. Uh, and, and the same thing with Einstein. There are and as much as I like Einstein, 
and I do think Origin of the Species is a, is a good book, uh, you know, to to accept these authority figures and what they say without question is just, to me, it's just not good science either. So it's this, it's the authority figure problem that I haven't quite figured out how, how that's going to change <laughs> other than have new authority figures yeah, yeah. so 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 uh but that's a that's a big one in my book um so go ahead yes i mean yeah i mean again and we we don't really want to uh replace one dogma with another dogma either right, right. so you know that's also we have to be careful of um you know we are programmed to authorities as uh, there was a sociological experiment with stan stanley milgram called obedience to authority where basically anyone wearing a white lab coat or a, a, you know a sign of authority we we were obedient yeah. which is the case today if someone comes on television with a soap powder and dressed you know in a lab coat a white overall we believed them where it's just an actor being paid to uh, yeah. hold up a box yeah um so we do respond to that because it's one of the the triggers that we have but i think also what's important is that we don't as we say throw out the baby with the bathwater. that we've lived in a in a we we still tend to live in this duality either or now uh, darwin the origin of species has a lot of great research that Darwin did, which we have to be thankful for, for helping our, you know, to, to springboard our, our research. But also Darwin talked a lot about cooperation, yeah. which didn't get picked up on. Yeah. Uh, and he did, I mean, he even questioned his own theories later in his life, and he was trying to renew them, and he did uh, have a great emphasis upon the cooperation of species. But of course, we have to remember that what we receive often is a kind of... Um, um, let's say concentrated version or the approved version of, of certain thinking patterns yeah. where there's a lot behind that so we can say I mean we can say okay Darwinism has been one understanding which in fact allows us to understand the incremental growth such as incremental growth of consciousness as well but it ha is not the full paradigm and it doesn't lack the vision that we've come to understand today with our greater tools of understanding and awareness so, you know, we can appreciate it something. Um, in fact, there's an old um, parable that I came across when I lived in, in Turkey, Philip, and the parable, well, it's a phrase that, that was used, and they said you would, you would ride a donkey to your front door of your house, but you wouldn't ride it into your house. Yeah. Um, which may sound a bit strange, but <laughs> yeah. one reading that I take from that is that at any epoch, we have a certain vehicle that we ride upon, um, uh, a vehicle of, of knowledge, a vehicle of communication that gets us to a certain point, but then we have to disband it yeah. and, and move on. Yeah. So we could say that certain paradigms, whether they've been scientific or whether they've been spiritual or religious, have brought us to where we are now. And they served a purpose in some ways, but now because we have a great expansion of, of consciousness and awareness and, and a greater information coming to us, we have to step off the donkey of the old paradigm and walk um, with a different medium, yeah, and I think I think that perhaps explains why we don't need to throw everything away, but we need to appreciate what we use, but move on. Yeah, well, I think that that's that's what uh, that that's what this show is about. I mean, I think we need to move beyond uh, the the standard box-like, category-like way we think of things, and uh, I think that's really where the hope is. And with luck. Uh, the Phoenix generation will do its job and we'll both be around to to see the fruits of the change and uh, as luck would have it we've quickly come to the end of the show here uh, so so Kingsley uh, you have a lot going on um, why don't you just uh, provide your website uh, for folks who want to follow up with you and check out your other work uh, and so what's your website now the website is, is uh, my name, which is kingsleydennis.com. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to have a name which uh, is not that popular. So if you Google <laughs> Kingsley Dennis, I'm probably at the top of the list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so um, really, yeah, kingsleydennis.com. Um, I have a lot of uh, articles and videos and audio on there, which are all available to read and download and take away. And as I say, what's important is that everyone must come to their own understanding, their own realization. We... You, I, the royal we cannot speak for other people. So please, you know, I'd like to offer information. Come and take it away. Do your own homework. And, uh, and then we can, you know, we can all come to our own realization and move on from there. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's, that's very well put, and I would second that. I mean, this is, this, 
this is the way it's supposed to work. You're supposed to, we're supposed to have an, an open dialogue about the big questions, the issues, without being inhibited. And I think that uh, Kingsley, you, your your new book, the the Phoenix Generation, is really a mind opener. Really puts together a lot of a lot of the thought on on what we hope is coming with this with this paradigm shift and. Uh, the one thing that I'm I'm going to leave the listener with, 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 which is something I completely agree with uh, in Kingsley's new book, is this notion that that uh, the consciousness evolves through new generations. It's sort of it's sort of like the analogy that I use is sort of fresh water being poured into a stream, and it's continuing to be replenished. And at some point, this this you know the stream reaches its ultimate destination and understands who it really is. Uh, this is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Uh, Kingsley, thank you very much uh, for a really mind-opening, inspiring show. And thank you once again for listening. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camella. To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com.